So Money Episode 598, Joe DiPaolo, co-founder of College Ave Student Loans. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our topic today is affording college. Some of you are about to send your little kiddos off to college. Can you believe it? They're already 18, 19 years old. Some of you might be graduated Some of you might still be grappling with your student loans from college 10 years ago. So we will be talking about all things affordability, how to afford college while you're in college, how to afford college while you're done with school because you've got student loans. We have a great guest for this. He is Joe DiPaolo, CEO and co-founder of College Ave Student Loans, which is currently the leading fintech next generation student loan marketplace lender. Joe is a financial services veteran. He previously worked as CFO and executive vice president of banking and as a member of the board of directors at Sally May. And before Sally May, he was CEO and co-founder of Credit One Financial Solutions, which is a company focused on debt consolidation. Joe and I talk about how we can better educate students to borrow just enough, not too much, but just enough (laughs) so that they can instead focus their efforts on finishing school and getting that great job and not making their debt a burden. How do you make sure college is a return on investment? And much, much more. And I should mention that I am actually a partner with College Ave Student Loans. They approached me to work with them on some initiatives. I'm happy to say I'm working with them as a brand collaborator, and it's been a lot of fun. And I'm really excited to bring you this special episode. Here we go. Here's Joe DiPaolo. Joe DiPaolo, welcome to So Money. Great to connect with you. Thank you, Farnoosh. Great to talk to you as well. Just to let listeners know, occasionally I do partner with some great brands and organizations that I feel very excited about. I feel they're on an important mission. And College Ave Student Loans is definitely one of them. Joe, you're the CEO and co-founder. Tell us, how is College Ave different than some of the other lenders in the student loan marketplace? Well, our approach to this business of lending money to students as they go to school um, is really designed around the concept of being clear and trying to be personalized with how the student borrows money. And what we mean by that is we, we try to keep the terms of the loan aligned so that they're in the best interest of each individual student. So we essentially give students choices as to how they want to design their loan. And we encourage them strongly to do things that reduce the cost of that loan over the life of the loan. The simplest way to think about it is is if you make some payments while you're in school, in the long run, the loan's going to cost you a lot less money. And if you get on the track of paying it back faster, you're going to pay much, much less interest over the life of the loan. We believe that's so important that we'll actually incent you by lowering the interest rate on the loan as you choose to make larger and larger payments while you're in school. So ultimately giving more flexibility to the borrower. Is it a problem that these loans come due four years after you borrow the money and then even then there's a grace period so you can forget? I mean, what's the behavioral benefit to this 
strategy. You just hit it on the head, Farnoosh. It's, it's making sure that the customer, the student, is aware of the obligation. So not only do we encourage people to make some type of payment while they're in school, and by the way, 60% choose this. We also send statements to them while they're in school. So they understand the obligation. In the simplest terms, when you borrow money for college, the, the, the most important number to know is what will be your monthly payment after you graduate. That's a more important number, perhaps, than your SAT scores, because you're going to live with that for a long time. So if you know what that monthly payment is before you graduate and while you're in school, then you will be able to manage your expectations about when you graduate, what what job you might need to cover that, where you, where you can afford to live, whether or not you could afford a car. All of those things become part of the equation because you're thinking about, hey, I have this monthly payment. You know, I've gone to college campuses and I go back to my alma mater pretty often. And the biggest question I receive from students is, you know, how am I going to pay back these student loans? My first reaction is, what's your monthly payment? And surprisingly, they just don't know. I was shocked. But I guess from your perspective, this is more prevalent than we think. So, so great point. So we're the only company in the student loan business who, when the customer is applying, we actually have this really simple calculator. And this customer says, here's what I want to pay in school. And after I graduate, here's how many years I want to pay it back. So 8, 10, 12, 15. And based on sliding those two scales, the payment while you're in school and the number of years, you will see, for instance, if you're borrowing $10,000, whether you're going to pay us back $14,000, let's say, over the next couple of years, or $24,000. It's that much different depending on how much you delay the payments and how much you spread them out. And you also will see your monthly payment when you graduate. That could be $120 or it could be $180. So you will see those two numbers. And so you will understand the cost. Like when, when people say, what's the cost of the loan? It should be, I gave you $1,000 and you paid me back 1200 Then the cost of the loan was at 200 The cost of college, as you know, has been rising far faster than the rate of inflation since the 70s. And so borrowing money for college is most likely inevitable for a lot of people. How much is too much to borrow? Does College Ave ever stop and say to borrowers, you know what, maybe you shouldn't borrow this much. I agree with the conventional wisdom that you want to limit your borrowing to no more than your anticipated salary in that first year graduating from school. What's your take? That's a pretty good measure. And that, that also explains why some kids can borrow 100000 and some kids should only borrow thirty or forty because the person borrowing 100 might be getting an MBA or in a medical program. There's a much deeper logic to what you just said. We, we sort of try to influence that in two ways. One is that monthly payment should be thought about in some terms. If your monthly payment for all your loans is going to be $300 a month, then the first 3600 or roughly 4000 you won't see when you come out earning money. So if you come out earning 40000 it's really 36 and that doesn't mm. factor in taxes. Right. So we, we, like, we like that monthly payment as one of the guides. The other thing is I think you've you got to have a reasonable comfort level at a large borrowed amount without consideration of what you actually want to spend on tuition, room, and board. If they're disconnected, 
it doesn't make as much sense. So like, I like to always tell people, look, when it comes to spending money on higher ed, as you're going into the decision, you have to have at least two choices on the table before you go to those schools that are a little bit more aspirational. And, and it may be aspirational, but one choice is your in-state option. Look at your in-state options because they'll always be more economical. And the second is look for options where if your grades are good statistically, you should be well above the average statistics for that school because then you might get merit aid. Those two become the more economical options before you have that aspirational school that might not give you any aid, but might have, a, in your mind, a slightly more prestigious sound to it. And I, we really encourage people to have those two options first and start thinking about those options sort of in sophomore and junior year of high school before you're emotional in your first semester of senior year. Right. You want to make sure that there is a return on investment. You know, my parents were very insistent on that. And my dad said to me back when I was choosing schools, he said, look, if you had gotten into Harvard, I'd be saying congrats and we'd be heading up to Cambridge. But I was basically choosing between Penn State University and NYU. And he said to me, you know, you've got a scholarship from Penn State and we're also in state in Pennsylvania at the time. NYU is $50,000 a year. So the choice to them was obvious. It wasn't so obvious to me at the time because I was being very emotional and I wanted to be in New York, but very important to do the math. One of my, my second kid goes to Penn State. All right. And I think that and that conversation probably sounded something like that. Right. Many families are sending off their graduates, their high school graduates to college this fall. Any advice for families as far as how to rein in the cost of college while you're at college? Sure. So um, the first thing is think about what benefits you have coming out of high school. So if if you have credits for courses that can apply towards college, which could take away the cost of courses, you should aggressively try to monetize those. AP courses are the tr traditional, but um, there could be a, any any courses that could minimize the number of credits you need to take to get that degree is really helpful. The second thing is you have a lot of a lot of flexibility around how you spread out, how you incur costs. So as an example, a lot of students might actually want to take a lower course load in four courses versus five, take two in the summer because then they could work throughout and work study and other jobs could help defray the total cost and they can continue working during the summer. So some people like to continue taking classes and work straight through. So I think the combination of income from jobs that you can make room for still being full-time plus lowering the cost of those courses either because maybe in the summertime, my son during the summertime takes an online course. And so he's got a full-time job and he's actually taking two online courses through Penn State, by the way. Hmm. Um, so he actually gets time to work and do other things during the school year. You know, that's a, that's a trade-off. He probably has a little less time in his hands to enjoy the summer, but that's a trade-off he's making. That's the same trade-off I made when I was in school. So I, I a couple times took summer courses and stayed in Washington where I went to school, and I was able to work more during the year and work more during the summer. I also think aggressively think about what your housing situation is. Mm. Off campus is, is unfortunately sometimes much less expensive than on campus. Being an RA, that helps tremendously defer, you know, defray right. the cost. Um, 
you know, sometimes meal plans are cheaper. Sometimes, you know, figuring that out yourself is cheaper. But I think if you stuck to the basics of what can I earn over the four years to help defray what I might need to borrow, combined with can I take the courses in any other order or in any other format to lower the cost, like online or like AP credits? Because that's what you're really doing. You're trying to in- increase the amount of resources you have available to not borrow, at the same time, lower that cost of going. Now, now one other point, you know, I think there's a really good argument for two years at a community college, followed by two years at the place where you finally get your degree. That just takes a lot of discipline. And the only thing I caution about that is when you go from high school to college, you have the support usually, usually of the support of some type of staff in your high school to help you with that transition. And then when you get to college, you're a freshman, there's usually some support networks to help you. If you do it through a community college, you probably don't have as much support network. So it's much more on you to get that done. So while I love the idea, I'm not blind to the fact that that's not as easy to do it that way as to go straight from a four-year high school to a four-year college. This also reminds me of the point that it's important to plan out your coursework so you can actually graduate in four years. The reality is a lot of kids are graduating in five years, in six years. It can be a very easy delay because you don't plan correctly because classes fill up. Sometimes schools don't have enough classes every semester for every kid to take them. could be a matter of not signing up fast enough. And that delays graduation. And therefore, for some families, could mean borrowing more money. Well, first, that is a great point. So let's start with a simple statistic, right? The average in-school tuition is $9,000. The average in at a state school, the average in school room board, everything else, 15,000. So think about if you took an extra year to complete your studies or an extra half a year, you're probably incurring a good portion of that 15,000 as opposed you're incurring some of the nine, but you're probably incurring a lot of the 15. I totally agree. It's, it's sort of like a like a construction project. If it took three years versus two, it's going to cost you a lot more money to get that project done. And school is the same way. That's why I like those options on classes. That's why I like trying to get as many credits going in. That's why I like using the online option. If you can't get the course done, usually there's a state school or an, or an option. A lot of the state schools have online courses. And a lot of times, both private and public schools will take that credit. So if you didn't get it done, get it done that summer, even if you're working somewhere, just to make sure you don't fall behind and you don't incur another year of overhead. Now, before you co-founded College Ave Student Loans, Joe, you were with Sally May. You've had a pretty long career in the financial services industry. What was your aha moment that you decided there had to be another way for people to borrow for school? What I saw in the student loan business when I was there was this very much lack of transparency and lack of simplicity. I think it's confusing for people because there's lots of jargon. It's an intimidating process. You only go through it when you're 18, 19, 20, 21, and you just kind of forget about it for 25 years until you have kids and you go through it again. So unlike a mortgage, which is very complicated, you do that multiple times back to back. So I think the fact that it is intimidating and it appears complex made us realize, me and my team who found this company, that the way to go at this is to try to boil it down to its simplest principles. 
once you've chosen the school, and we encourage you to look at options like the in-state option in schools that might give you more aid, once you've chosen that school, at that point, your goal is to know exactly what the borrowing costs are and exactly what your obligation is when you leave. Everything else is noise. Everything else is noise. And so we try to boil it down to that so that there's a limited opportunity for confusion or, or dissatisfaction, quite frankly, or disappointment. And that, that really was the guiding principle because you think about higher ed- education, it is confusing for many reasons. It's not designed to be confusing. It just is. And it's a long process that starts when mom and dad help you pick out the school and fill out that FAFSA form. And then you're in the shoot and it takes a while for it all to play through. You have an unmatched perspective. You know, there aren't many people that have your unique purview. What are your predictions as far as student loans go? Is College Ave student loans paving the way for others to follow and have a marketplace that's more flexible, that caters more to borrowers? I think our, I, I think our, our approach to this is taking what you're seeing in a lot of industries, both financial services and non-financial services, where companies are really disrupting the normal assumptions about how things happen in a business, whether it's how you buy your glasses, you know, how you shop for travel. And the combination of technology plus taking assumptions and turning them on their head. I think it's going on in a lot of industries, and I think we're just an example of that in the student lending industry. We're really taking it from the customer's perspective. And if you notice a lot of things that have become innovations in the, even, you know, in the last 10 years, a lot of them are just thinking differently about things customers do. You know, a simple example is, is it Warby Parker, the eyeglass company, or Uber, right? Those are, we think of us not like that, but we think of it, look, this is really simple. So my prediction is what we're part of an overall landscape. I'd like to think that over the next five plus years, that more anybody playing in this space looks more like us over time. Because I think if the consumer is clear on what they're borrowing and understands their obligation, the overall ecosystem for going to college and borrowing money is better. If people are aware of what they're getting into and have clear expectations, it might be more competitive for for a lender, but there'll be more satisfied customers to serve. And I think that's what people sometimes don't realize. If you make the industry better, you have more satisfied customers to appeal to versus an industry that has traditionally been very difficult to understand. It, it, you know, all the boats rise when the water rises, and that's how we look at it. We don't think if people follow us, we think that's a good thing. If more people make it clear, like if more providers of loans, and that's one of the things, as I've said often, I think in, in both the federal and the private loans, the more clarity around what those expectations are, it would be less nerve-wracking as what they're doing when they're going through the process. Speaking of lack of clarity, many borrowers are grappling with, what do I do? What are my options? As far as refinancing, restructuring, what's your advice to someone who's already borrowed money, who now has to pay back the money, can't make payments, doesn't know what their options are? There's two avenues to take. I mean, obviously, um, in the federal program, there's a lot of options for changing your payment obligations into an income-based repayment. So if if your payment is you know, $400 a month and you can't make that because of your income level is too low, 
then there's many there's it's a little confusing because there's lots of variations on that program but there are lots of ways to get into such a program and reduce your burden for a while in the private space it, that that issue of the burden has been less so partly because in the private space we underwrite to the credit so if you can't pay it you normally have a cosigner and so normally that person either because the borrower or the cosigner is a more is a is a more informed user of credit the 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 likelihood of overborrowing is much less so you know default rates in the private program and private portfolios are 1% a year the default rates in federal are in the double digits but that's because it's a different program everybody can access it there's not a credit underwriting which is why there's more functionality around and more opportunities to reduce your burden if you got into something you can't pay. When borrowers come to you, to College Ave, what criteria are you looking at? What's the process like? Again, we keep that pretty simple as well. First of all, we keep the process down to three minutes or less. So you should be able to get an answer by filling in about 20 spaces, 20 20 fields, even on your iPhone. You should be able to do that. And, And you should be able to get an answer very quickly. If you don't qualify for credit, then we ask you to bring a co-signer who can do the same thing in the same number of minutes, fill out about 20 fields. And we give the loan to a party, either the borrower or the co-signer, who can actually handle the obligation tomorrow morning, even if the student went to school and three months later decided, this isn't for me. They didn't get into an obligation that they can't handle. And so we're really writing it as if it's a consumer obligation where the backup plan is the cosigner, but we fully intend, expect that the student will graduate and will be able to service that loan. We hope so. I mean, I would love to get to a place where borrowers are able to make ends meet. It's definitely a problem in this country. We need more solutions, more out-of-the-box thinking. Thank you for coming on the show and for your advice, Joe. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. What you're working on is really important, and what you cover is really important. Uh, We're very passionate about it here at College Ave. I think the topics we discussed today, hopefully they they help students and they help families. I think they will. Lots are going through the college process now or they're out of college. It's never too late to learn how to save. And if you're going to take my word for it, be sure to graduate in four years. Don't become a super senior. That's probably one of the most important ones. Don't become a super senior. Know what you owe. All right, Joe. Thank you so much. Best wishes to you. And to you too, Farnoosh. Thank you. Thanks so much to Joe DePaula for stopping by. For more information, go to collegeadstudentloans.com. And if you missed any of this interview, go to somoneypodcast.com to click on the audio, download the transcript. And while you're there, if you've got a money question or a student loan question or whatever, any kind of financial question or other, send it to me. I want to tackle it. Go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh at the top right and either leave me a voicemail or write me your question and I'll get back to you on a forthcoming Friday episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.